It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. I'm going to draw the focus tight on one of the more important names given to the children of God. We are referred to in Matthew 5 as the light of the world. Now, this is going to bring forth a revelation that will change your life in a radical way. Let me go all the way back to the beginning, though. When the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the first thing God spoke was, let there be light. And can you imagine the intensity of light exploding into existence beyond the boundaries of what we have the ability to even conceive? And then God divided the light from the darkness. Curiously and amazingly, that's exactly what he did in your life and my life when he decided to change things radically for us. Because my heart, in a sense, was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of my existence. And then God, in a sense, spoke over my life and said, let there be light. Darkness was enshrouding you. Then God said, let there be light. And light exploded into existence in our lives. And then God set about the process, as he did in the beginning, of dividing light from darkness. By quickening your conscience through various means, God began to deal with your character and call out the dark aspects of the lower nature and resurrect within you the light emanating aspects of the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ himself so that we emerge in his image. God dwells in a supernatural light. I call it light beyond light. It's light that is far beyond our capacity to perceive within the spectrum of our physical ability. And that's not so hard to believe because there's ultraviolet light, which is of a longer wavelength than visible light. There's infrared light, which is a shorter wavelength than visible light. And it's used for night vision. So if you've got ultraviolet and infrared, it's not a thing unthinkable that there is a supernatural celestial light that is far beyond our normal capacity to see. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 talks about that. It says that the King of kings and Lord of lords dwells in an unapproachable light whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. So God dwells in a light that is so intense. It's brighter than 10,000 suns, certainly. Our flesh could not handle 
standing in the presence of God, certainly our very bones and flesh would melt. It would be impossible to remain in that glorious, radiant, supernal presence of the Almighty God. But one day, when we are fully and completely changed into his image, the Bible says you and I will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. There will be, I believe, a literal radiance emanating from us. So much so that in the holy city, New Jerusalem, there will be no need for the sun to give light by day, nor the moon to give light by night, but the glory of God will lighten the city, and the glory of God will be radiating from every one of us. It will be a realm of light. And as we move the direction of that ultimate destiny, I believe God is increasingly manifesting light in our lives. Now, to understand this in greater detail, let's go into the nature of the light we're familiar with in this world. It was quite a mystery to scientists for many years because in some experiments, light acted like it was made up of particles, and in other experiments, light acted like it was made up of waves. And there was differences of opinion on which of those ideas was correct. And then it was discovered that both ideas were correct. Light is both particles and waves. And I believe that relates to the dual nature of light on a spiritual level. Because see, the main ways that God manifests himself to us, in us, and through us is by his spirit and by his word. And both of those are represented as light in Scripture. The waves, to me, relate more to the spirit. The particles relate to the individual photons, like particle promises, 7,487 promises throughout God's Word. But then when you've got the waves and the particles working together, you've got supernatural light filling your life. Well, there's a scripture that deals with the aspect of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit being light. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And then verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So our journey is all about walking in the light. And if we walk in the light, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now the word is also represented as light in Psalm 119, verse 105. I like the old King James rendering. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it's shining forward and backward. It's a light to my path. It's shining forward. It's showing me where to go in life. But it's a lamp to my feet. It's shining backward. It's illuminating me. It's showing me within myself what I need to deal with. And it's showing me in the future where I need to go. 
And that's the word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that could include the written word and the living word. Because not only does God give us the written word from Genesis to Revelation, but he said through the prophet that there would be a word behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it and turn not to the right hand or to the left. So that was an inference or a suggestion that often if we'll listen to the voice of the shepherd, he will tell us exactly where to go and lead us in the light. What about the speed of light? This is amazing. In a vacuum, the speed of light is 186,282 miles per second. Nothing can travel faster than light. In miles per hour, the speed of light is 670,616,629 miles per hour. Now that's moving down the road. If you could travel at the speed of light, you could go around the earth seven and a half times in one second. That's how fast it is. Now, tell me that's not mind-blowing. It's hard for me to wrap my head around that. So there's no speed faster, theoretically, than the speed of light. Well, that leads me to believe this spiritual application that there's no better way to live life and there's no faster way to fulfill your purpose or to reach your destiny than to yield to the influence of the light of the Spirit and to walk according to the light of the Word. And then when you're walking in the light, darkness has no more dominion over you and you can fulfill your purpose and reach your destiny in an amazing way in this world. Now, I told you that I was going to be teaching on our calling to be the light of the world, and I'm about to get to that. But first, I want to show you the opposite. I haven't really dwelt on that at all. The Bible says at one point, except for you that maybe grew up as Christians all your life and you were always trained in the ways of God, most of us spend a time in darkness, and the Bible calls us children of darkness, and that we were prone to manifesting what Ephesians 5.11 calls the unfruitful works of darkness. If you're a child of darkness, you're going to make dark decisions, you're going to have a dark influence on the world around you, and you're going to produce the unfruitful works of darkness that equate to death and deception. If you're walking in darkness, you're walking in deception, you're dead spiritually, and you're impacting the world in a death-dealing way. Why? Because this world is controlled by the prince of darkness, who is called a ruler of darkness in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And then we have self, or the lower nature to deal with, and Ephesians 5, 8 talks about that, when it says you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So that was the way we functioned before. We thought it was normal. This is a very dark world right now and a very dark generation and very dark things have happened the past couple of days. Very disturbing. And the only hope for our generation, our nation, and our world 
The only hope, let me underscore that, is the hope of believers that will be awakened to fulfill this calling. We need a spiritual awakening. We're not going to solve the problems of our nation by the political process alone. Thank God for righteous men and women that are involved in that area, but that's not the ultimate answer. We need to walk as children of light, spreading the light of the Spirit and the light of the Word everywhere we go to illuminate our neighborhoods, our cities, our communities, our states, our nations, and this whole global community. The church is the answer. And we need more of God's people to shine their light. Let your light so shine before men that men may see your good works, but not glorify you. Be careful to point upward. The scripture says that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. All the glory must go to him. Now let's get to this phenomenal calling that God has called us to. The light of the world. Can you imagine what the disciples felt like when Jesus spoke that to them initially? That was Matthew chapter 5. That's right in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. These guys are fresh out of a normal life. Fishermen and tax collectors and different people involved in natural endeavors of life. But he said, you are the light of the world. Can you imagine how mind-bending that was to them? They were doing well up to that point just to get enough fish to sell it in the market to take care of their family. How in the world could they have that kind of illuminating influence on the entire world? And yet that's what Jesus dared to speak into their lives. He didn't say you could be, you have the potential of becoming. He made it a very affirming and definitive statement. He said, you are the light of the world. And look at how they did it. Look at how they shook Jerusalem with the gospel and it spread to the Gentile world and then surrounded the globe. And you and I have our lives lit up because of the efforts of those early disciples. Jesus was right. And there's no telling how important you could be in this generation. Like it was said by Mordecai to Esther, who knows whether you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Two times in Scripture, Jesus applied this title to himself in two successive chapters, John chapter 8 and John chapter 9. First, it happened in that story of the adulterous woman that was thrown at Jesus' feet and the angry mob, ready to stone her, said, Master, according to the law of Moses, we should stone such a person. She was caught in the act of adultery and Jesus knelt down. That was the creator condescending to kneel down to a broken, hurting, guilt-ridden, fearful person, and he rode in the ground. She must have trembled the entire time, knowing that he was a holy man and knowing that she was guilty in his sight. But he was silent until he turned around to the crowd and said, whoever is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. The atmosphere must have been electrified with that statement that day because they all, from the eldest to the youngest, being convicted of their own conscience, 
dropped their stones and walked away. And Jesus said these words next in verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Well, how did he fulfill that role that day? Well, there were a lot of dark things about to happen. Dark, judgmental attitudes consuming the angry mob. The darkness of guiltiness and self-condemnation and fear enveloping the woman. Think of that, how dark that situation was. And Jesus lit up everybody's life. He first enlightened their consciences. And by the way, the word that is translated conscience there is the only time in the Gospels you find it. And it's the first time in the New Testament you find it. And it's from the Greek word sunidesis that means co-perception. Co-perception, it means really to see things like God sees things, to perceive things like God perceives them. And that's what happened to that crowd. They began to see the situation like God saw it. Their minds were lit up. Their hearts were lit up. They realized that they were not without sin. And if they wanted mercy, they needed to give it away. I guarantee you their lives were changed from that time forward radically because Jesus lit up their lives. He also lit up the life of the woman who suddenly looked up with hope in eyes that were a few moments before filled with despair. And Jesus said, has no man condemned you? And she said, no man, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. She was lit up with the light of the Spirit and the Word. And I believe her heart was changed and she lived a pure life from that point because he spoke it into her. That was the same voice that said, let there be light in the very beginning that said, go and sin no more. Think of it. And he lit up the lives of the disciples who saw a demonstration of the power of love and the power of mercy that they would later carry on in their ministries and their lives. Everyone was lit up that day. The next time you find this title being applied to the Lord Jesus Christ is in chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. See, people tried to figure out then, like they try to figure out now, why bad things happen. And quite often they would blame it on the parents, that the sins of the father passed to the children. So it was the father's fault that this child was born without his eyes functioning correctly. And then there was a lot of travel from the Far East at that time. And merchants, I'm sure, came through Israel with ideas from the East, like reincarnation that some people would entertain and think about and discuss. And that's why the disciples surely must have said, did this man sin in a former life, in a previous incarnation? Which, of course, is not true it's not biblical reincarnation. It's not right. But maybe that's what they were referencing. But Jesus indicated that sometimes this world is just a random place 
where bad things happen and there's no great explanation. But when you invite God into the darkness of the situation, then miracles can happen for the glory of God. And then Jesus said in verses 4 and 5, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. I wonder if he was referring to something in our near future. The night is coming when no one can work, when darkness will envelop this planet. To such a degree, it's called gross darkness in Isaiah chapter 60. Darkness will cover the world and gross darkness will cover the people. But in the midst of it all, he said, Arise, shine, for thy light has come and the glory of the Lord has arisen upon you. And here, maybe Jesus was talking about the dark night that was coming in his own life personally when he would be crucified. But I tend to believe he was projecting all the way out to the end of the age. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. And you better feel that urgency within your heart as well. The night is coming when no one can work. And then what a power statement. He said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as he was in the world, he was the only temple of God, vessel of God, dwelling place of God. The light of the word and the light of the spirit dwelt within him. But then he said, I've got to leave the world. And he said, I'm going back to my father. And once he ascended into heaven and sent back the power of the Holy Spirit 10 days after he ascended into the upper room and the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word. See, the Spirit and the word were activated that day. And that's when Matthew chapter 5 blossomed in their lives. They may have entertained the idea of it being remotely possible the first time they heard it three and a half years before. But after spending those years with Jesus, they were transformed into world changers and history makers. And I pray the same thing happens to you. Father, this is a dark time in our nation, in our world. This is a dark generation with so many perverted and unclean and sinful and wicked things happening globally. I just ask that you cause revival to break out in such a way. Let a spiritual awakening suddenly surge through our nation, through our world, in such a way to counteract the darkness. I agree with all of those who are agreeing with me that it will start on a personal level, that you will awaken us so that we can awaken others. We are the light of the world, but it's not so that we can hoard the light, but share the light and cause them to come into the same calling. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. 
We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be. 